0: Father, there are many spirits in this world that influence and control us. This morning, as we have gathered to sing, to share in the Lord's table, to fellowship, to pray, and now to receive your word, Lord, help us to hear from your spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of life the Spirit that directs us in the way that we should go as followers of Christ. As we are given new life by your Spirit, and as we see through His Word and His direction and your people, as we see our sin and we see your grace, help us to trust his voice above all other voices. And as we join in the study of scriptures and a walk for a little while in the shoes of people that lived 24, 2500 years ago, knowing that you, our God, have not changed, help us to hear from you. And in hearing from you, may we look to your Son, Jesus. And in knowing him better, we might know you better. We pray this all in his name, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to invite you to turn. Um, Now, on the back of the bulletin, I remember what it was. um, On the back of the bulletin, there's a a thing uh, that says spoilers ahead. Now, if you're under the age of 40 or so, you probably don't know what a spoiler is. Um, I don't mean a thing on the back of a car. Uh, uh but spoilers are because of the, we live in the uh you know we live in the information age when um as soon as a movie has hit the the movie theaters uh, everybody and their brother is posting about it a spoiler is when you tell somebody what happens in a story so um one of the things that we run into and one of the things that um i i kind of in conversation uh this week it started to kind of occur to me that maybe you're not super familiar with the story of esther um, if you come from outside of the church, you may have not have heard this story. Now, if you were, if, if you were, um, if you grew up in church, and particularly, uh, not to make this sound gendered, but particularly if you grew up in the church as a girl, you heard the story of Esther over and over and over again. Um, but, uh, but uh, the the book of Esther is uh, it's, it's one of those stories. I think it's a it's a phenomenal just on its own. It's a phenomenal story. But what it does um, in terms of uh, the people of Israel and how God is at work—it uh, takes it to a whole other level. But if you if you need kind of a summary, that's in the that's on the back. Um, but uh, we're we're going to be getting into the second chapter of Esther. Last week uh, we introduced the idea of the Persian court and everything that was going on, um, kind of giving you the context for this. Uh, these events occur in the fifth century B.C., so about 2,500 years ago. Um, so we're kind of removed from the story. Uh, and in chapter one, just to summarize real quickly, uh, Ahasuerus, the the king of Persia, um, and that is just. A, a version of the word, the name Xerxes, uh, Xerxes the first or Xerxes the great, throws a great feast, they party for seven days, he inwi- invites his, his queen Vashti to come and uh, basically so that he can show her off um, and tell everybody how wonderful and glorious he is because of who she is and how beautiful she is, she refuses to come and he um, basically in order to prevent the loss of balance in their world and and uh, because it was a threat, um, some people saw it as a threat to their authority, um, he uh, decides that he is going to set her aside. Um, and that occurs in the fourth year of his reign. I'm sorry, in the third year of his reign. We see that in, in chapter 1 and verse 3, in the third year of his reign. Um, the distance between chapter 1 and chapter 2 um, is three years. So there's, there's a three-year gap um, in the story. Now, what happens in these ancient narratives is you will often have a, a opening, kind of a prologue, um, that kind of sets the scene. And that's what happens in chapter 1. We've got a, a set scene. Um, we have everything that's going on to explain why we... Now, what happens in chapter 2? So let's pick up in chapter 2 and verse 1. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, um, he remembered Vashti and all that she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him. So this is, and, and I'm going to stop right here, this is the third group of people that this king has giving him advice. And you know, what's always good is to have multiple committees telling you what to do. That, that never, ever fails. It never, ever makes chaos. Um, so he has, uh, he has seven eunuchs who work for him. And he has uh, the seven representatives, these seven officials who work for him. And then he has this group of young men who serve him. Um, now, I went digging. I tried to find whether there is any kind of uh, record of uh, this kind of a situation in the Persian, uh, the Persian world. And the best that I can tell, uh, the issue here is that Xerxes himself is a relatively young man at this point. Um, and so he has his buddies so he has his advisors, he has all the old men who know all the rules and everything, but he also has a group of young men that he surrounds himself with um, who offer him a different kind of advice. Uh, one, of the, one of the more interesting things that you can do, and I'll mention this at the end of the service, is to read Daniel chapter 1 and, and Esther chapter 2 in parallel And see how two Jews, a Jewish young man, Daniel, and a Jewish young woman, Esther, are received into foreign courts. Um, And the similarities of the two two passages are actually profound. Uh, The Persians seem to have inherited this idea of surrounding yourself with young, promising men from the Babylonian kingdom. um, And they were the ones that kind of you asked for more like the, the personal advice. The old men, they were the guys that made sure the government kept running. The young men were the guys who kept made sure the party kept going. And the king's young men attended him. They served him. And they say to him, in verse 2, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. Let the king appoint officers or representatives in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins uh, to the Now, the word here is harem um, or harem, um, but the, the Hebrew is actually the house of the women, Beit Nishim. Um, and so uh, it seems to be harem has kind of a connotation to it in our popular culture. It is a, it is a Persian word, but um, I'm going to say house of women because I think it, it, it reflects You can't go wrong with actually reading the text. Um, So, a young version to the house of women in Shusha, the citadel. Under the custody of Hege, the king's eunuch who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given to them. All right. so right away we see the advice of young men. What is their first priority? Let's get beautiful women and give them makeup. That'll win them over. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. In verse 5, There was a Jew in Shusha the citadel whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yer, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Yachaniah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure, was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Now there's a lot going on here. Um... Mordecai uh, is actually, although it's, it's written with a different set of vowels here to make the distinction, Mordecai is the name Marduk. Uh, Marduk is the name of a Babylonian king, a uh, Babylonian god. Um, and the Hebrew has different vowels on it. Semitic languages, um, it's always based on the consonants. So if you look at the consonants of Marduk, M-R-D-K, and then you look at Mordecai, you have M-R-D and a but it's actually a K in Hebrew, um, it's the same name. Um, it, is, it literally means belongs to Marduk. Uh, now, um, we also have Hadassah, a uh, Hebrew name of this, this woman, um, which means myrtle, the myrtle tree, um, but she is known as Esther or Ishtar, um, which is also a Babylonian name. Now, what's very, very common in the Jewish, the, the, what's called the, the exilic Jewish population, is to have two names. Uh, you have your birth name, your Hebrew name. In this case, we don't know what Mordecai's was. Um, and then you have a name that you are known to everybody else, what's called an exonym the name that's known to the outside. Uh, Jews did this uh, throughout all the way into the Roman Empire and beyond. They would have a name that was socially acceptable, that was used by the people outside of the Jewish community, and then they had their own internal name. Um, again, we don't know what Mordecai's name is. Uh, his, his uh, w- We can pretty, mu- pretty sure that Mordecai is not his birth name. Um, not a lot of Jewish uh, parents will name their kid Marduk. Um, but... Um, Uh, But we don't have his name, but we know that he's descended from uh, Benjamin. He's related to a very old family. Um, His family had been carried into captivity. And what had happened was when the the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persians in 522, um, some of the Jews were allowed to return to their homeland around Jerusalem, uh, what became the province of Al-Yahud. Um, And and they they settled there. But a lot of the Jews remained in Babylon, um, and they built a a society there that actually lasted into the modern age. There was an enormous Jewish population in what is today Iraq, well into the 20th century. Um, They're almost all out now, but but there was this uh, Babylonian uh, society there, and somehow, this young woman's parents, all right, um, so Mordecai's uncle that makes uh, him and Esther, makes them cousins, all right, um, her, his uncle and his wife died, and so Mordecai um, essentially becomes the guardian of... Of this young woman. And this is very common in Persian society. It's common in Hebrew culture too. But in the Persian society, you had to have a male who would negotiate your marriage, would negotiate property for you under the law, um, under, under Babylonian law particularly, but also under uh, Persian law. Um, a woman really didn't come into her own until she was married and connected. So Hadassah, and this is going to mess with you a little bit, but Hadassah is probably um, 14 or 15 years old at this time. Um, She's a beautiful young virgin. That means that she hasn't been betrothed to a man. Uh, Marriage uh, was something that was the norm. It was very, very rare to have a single woman um, beyond her teen years. Um, Women were supposed to get married, they were supposed to have kids, um, they were supposed to rule their houses. In verse 8, when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Shusha, the citadel, in the custody of Haggai, um, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. Now, sometimes when this story is told, it, they make it sound like Mordecai like lined Esther up to do this. There's nothing in the text that says that. Now, there are two versions of Esther. I should mention this. Um, not that you care about this, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, there's the Hebrew version of Esther that's in our Bibles, but... At some point, somewhere along the line, people who spoke Greek, who were reading uh, Esther, had a lot of questions about stuff like this. How did Esther wind up in this? And they added material. So there's something called the Greek Esther. And it's almost... Twice as long as the Hebrew Esther, it has all kinds of things. It has Mordecai making having a prayer, and there's details added. Um, It's 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 what's called it's it's a filling. Um, uh, Hebrew culture doesn't like to leave things in a minor note. They like to resolve the dissonance, and so um, they would add things to it. We don't know why um, she gets rounded up, other than she's beautiful and she's young. Um, And uh, the the, uh, Persian king has sent out his representatives and they're rounding up beautiful young women um, for the king to uh, find a new wife. So verse 10, Esther had not made known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. He says, whatever you do, you go by Esther. You don't go by Hadassah. You don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. You just... Go through this, and every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the the house of the women to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ahasuerus. After being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, see, dads of teenage girls, women have always taken a long time to get ready. Um, Six months, the oil of myrrh, six months with spices and ointments for women. When the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the house of the women to the king's palace." So there's this setup, beautiful young girl, you bring her in, you keep her in the house of the women for 12 months, and she learns how uh, to do her makeup the right way in case she doesn't know. She learns how to uh, weave her hair a certain way to be pleasing for the Persian court. Um, she learns a lot of the etiquette and behavior. She, she receives a lot of the training. Um, think of, uh, 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 what's that movie with Anne Hathaway in it, and she's a, she's a princess with uh, Princess Diaries, right? Um, you know, uh, it basically the same. Princess Diaries is basically the story of Esther, right? Um, so not really. Uh, don't go with that. Don't, don't use that as a hermeneutic. Um, but the, this, um, this whole situation, right, so she is, so she's being prepared over the 12 months. So there's another reason why they wait 12 months, and this is a practical reason. Uh, the king needs uh, virgins. So in the course of that 12 months, if this woman, suddenly her belly grows up and she has a baby, she's disqualified. All right, Obviously, she was not um, what she said she was. Uh, so they, we go through this, and then in verse 14, this is what would happen with these young women. Now, keep in mind, these are teenagers. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second house of the woman in custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. Now, in the Persian court, there were four kinds of women around the king. At the bottom were the um, purchased women. I don't think I need to go any further on that one. All right. The next tier was a group that were called the daughters. The daughters were all of the... diplomatic marriages, and uh, this rich guy sends his daughter to live with the king, or or situations, princesses, foreign princesses, representatives of, of the various different uh, administrations around, and they were all gathered, and they were all technically married to the king in various and assorted ways, but often they never see him, they just kind of lived um, in the house. And then there were then there were the secondary wives. These were uh, women that the king was have, had children with, and they were important. They were involved in administration. These were usually pretty powerful women. And then there was the queen, all right, the woman of women. She was the top. She was uh, one of her titles was actually the night watch guard. All right, I, Not night watchman, but the night watchguard. It was her job to make sure that only the woman that the king requested went at night to the king's house. And she ran the house of the women. And there were two houses. All right? there, was, there were basically three places that women lived in the court. The first was the house of the women. That's where all those, those young uh, women that are coming in, that's where they are. And then... A little bit deeper, there's a second house. That's where the concubines, um, all the, that fourth tier, those who have, and those who the king have, um, has been with, they live there. And then there's the queen's house, which is inside the king's house, and she runs the whole show. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. That wasn't her whole job. The queen's responsibility was to handle the affairs of the kingdom. She was handling the diplomatic relations of the king. She knew which princesses represented which powers. Which hostages, because a lot of those women were hostages, they were being held so that the Persian king had power over another authority. Which hostages represented which kingdom? She was very, very involved. And she was like his right hand. She saw things that he couldn't see. This will blow your mind. She ran the intelligence community of the Persian Empire. She ran the spies, because what better spies could you possibly have in enemy courts than women, because nobody was expecting that. Nobody expected that you sent some princess to the palace, that she was reporting back to the queen the whole time. This is an important job. This is, this is an important role, and it's been sitting empty for three years, And these women, they're going in, all right, every evening one girl goes in and in the morning she comes out and Shashgaz goes, second house, second house, second house. If she comes out in the morning, second house, you go to the second house, you weren't good enough. Now we don't know what they were asking for, but we get this um, moment here in verse, at the end there, she would not go into the king at the end of verse 14, again, unless the king delighted her and she was summoned by name. Then the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king. And she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now, Esther... Is smart. The word, by the way, beautiful. We see beautiful young women. There's a Hebrew word for beautiful. It's yaffe. That is not the word that's used there. The word there is used as tov. It means good. It means it's a holistic pleasantry. All right. It's a. It's this is. It's not just. It's not that it's, that she's pretty, but she's the whole package. Esther knows all of these women are going in and then leaving, and they're not coming back. They go to that second house. They don't come back. And the women keep going, so that means the king hasn't chosen a queen yet. And she says, there's something wrong with this situation. They're allowed to take whatever they want from the house. Now, we don't know what they're taking, but she goes to the guy who's in charge, the eunuch, and she says to him, what should I take? And he tells her. Now, we don't know what he tells her, but she goes. Now, I have a theory. Would you like to hear it? Good. These other women for 12 months have been taught, this is what the king likes. This is how you need to dress. This is how you need to act. So when they get ready to go to the king, they put on all their makeup. They put on all their facade. They put on everything they are. And a guy who is probably much older than the king, said something to this effect to Esther. He's seen it all before. He's not going to be impressed when you show up, no offense to anyone by this name, when you show up like one of the Britneys, dressed exactly the same, like everybody else. Well, guys love blondes, and no offense to blondes, Sorry, I'm a brunette guy myself, um, but uh, but uh, you know guys love blondes so be a blonde right in the 1960s right there were no brunettes like like everybody was blonde right um, you know they love blondes and and he wants you to wear high heels and he wants you to dress a certain way make sure you wear this particular color he really likes blue and white but after a while that just gets boring that's just it's just every woman looks the same there's nothing different so I I think that Hagai actually says to her just go in and be yourself. Just go be you. And Esther says, okay. Now, Esther was winning the favor in the eyes of all who saw her at the end of verse 15. This is an impressive young woman. And when Esther was taken into King Ahasuerus, into the royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, so this is four years after he's banned Vashti, how many women have cycled in and gone to the second house? The king, now this says loved, I'm going to change that, uh, because I think that doesn't really get to convey the, the sense of this. The king adored Esther. More than all the women. She won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So he finds this young woman, she finds him, right? She goes in, and he is so impressed. He calls her back. She's named here. The king loved Esther. Remember, they couldn't return unless um, their names were given. And he gives her the royal crown. He makes her the queen. So in all of Persia, the most powerful kingdom on earth, a teenage girl is being given all the power a woman could ever want. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. This is the third feast. It was called Esther's feast. And he also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now, I'm not going to get into this. However, if you take this ending right here, verse 18 and then you start at chapter 1 and verse 1, and you work your way backwards, you will find that what happens here is an inversion of everything that happened with Ahasuerus' party. He throws a party, He 180 days, show my glory, show my power, I'm so awesome, come and party, let's drink, let's get down. That would have cost a small fortune, or a big fortune. He drapes things and he honors things and it's his feast. And what do we see here at the end? She has so changed his world that he throws a party for her and announces a tax rebate. I want to tell you the other thing I think that she takes into the king's house. I think she takes wisdom. I think the reason Ahasuerus does this is because Esther said, you know what would work as a king? I have a feeling there was like this quiz where he would say to her, say to these potential queens, this is, what do you think I should do for my people? And she said, the other queens would say things like, well, I think you should just throw more parties. They, she told him the answer that she thought she wanted him to hear. I think people just need to see how amazing you are. How many of you have ever been around somebody who just tells you whatever it is they think you want to hear? Right? Aren't those your favorite people? Right? Aren't they so honest? They, they sort of, I think Esther, he says to Esther, what should I do? She says, you know what, you're kind of a pain in the neck. Your taxes are pretty heavy. Your parties are out of control. And if you want me to be queen, I think maybe what we should do is we should throw a party where we give everybody stuff back. We give away all the decoration and the extravagance that you've built up in Susha. Why don't we just we don't say to the people, hey, we're going to celebrate this amazing thing. It was Esther's feast. Now, as we go on, we're going to discover that Esther is an impressive person. She has, first of all, she has the knowledge of herself to know when she doesn't know the answer. And boy, is that a gift. All right. She knows she she doesn't have the answer, and so when she needs help, she goes and finds Mordecai, and she asks him, what do I do? She's aware that she is not the end-all, be-all. She's always careful to make her decisions, and when she plans something, she plans every step. This is an impressive young woman, and I think Ahasuerus just absolutely adores her for this. Now, this is not the big point of the sermon, but I would just remind you that when the world tells you what you're supposed to be, if that's not who you are, don't be that person. The world wants to tell you everything that you're supposed to be. If you're just like this, you will be this way. All right, let me tell you one of the most annoying social media trends right now. This drives me batty. Some of you are not on social media and you don't see this. The new trend with all of these talking um, heads on uh, social media, when they're being informative and telling you all this, well, actually, is to hold a lapel microphone in their hand and talk to it. Have you guys seen this? It has a clip for a reason. Some engineer designed that microphone to work clipped to your shirt. I was And why is everybody doing it? Because somebody did it and got millions and millions of views. And they said, well, in order to be a real Internet personality, you have to be this stupid. No, be yourself. Be who God created you to be. I think that's what Esther does. I think, and this, is a, this has nothing to do with the message, but, but I think we have medicated and counseled the genius out of a generation. People wonder why America's falling behind. It's because our true geniuses are told that they're defective, that they need to conform, that they need to be normal. If Esther was normal, she would have wound up living with a bunch of concubines and discarded women. But because she was different, because she gained favor, because there was something about her, she becomes really the second most powerful person in the most powerful empire of the world. There's so much that I can, we could draw out of this, but... My big idea here is actually going to go in a direction that you probably did not expect. I know that never happens. It is easy for us to read this text and try to find some morality play for how to live our lives. Some hidden devotional thought. But I think what this, this part and all of Esther really tells us is that life is messy. That expectations are difficult. That the world, broken as it is, sets standards and behaviors and and procedures that require us on a regular basis to decide, A, what does God want me to do in this situation? And B, how can I be the person that God made me to be? Esther is messy. If you go to Esther looking for, you know, well, what, what is the... What is the application of this? You know, I one time was asked to do an application of the book of Jonah when I was like 10 or 11 years old. I've always been a little sassy. So they're like, do an application of the book of Jonah. And I stood up and I started to talk. This was for my dad. So, you know, I wouldn't have done this in public. But what is the book of Jonah? What's the application of the book of Jonah? Learn to swim, (laughs) don't get eaten by fish. And it was like, that's not what Joan is. Well then you tell me what it is. Because at one point he's living under a gourd. I don't even know what that means. It's true. All right. Life is messy. We live in a less than ideal situation. Our world is broken. And while there's no guarantee that when you are yourself, you will rise to positions of power and authority, God made you the person you are. So deal with your sin, but be the man or woman that God called you to be. We are all a little unique, we are all a little different, and we need to celebrate That rather than God making us a bunch of clones, you know, I mean, wouldn't pastoring, pastoring would be so much easier if when you guys got saved, you just all were recoded to listen to what Eric says. Think about how little I'd have to deal, the problems I wouldn't have to deal with, but that's not what God calls us to be. God calls us to be different. And young ladies and young men, And Esther is really written for young men and young women. It really, really is. No matter what you are facing, know God, get godly counsel, and be yourself. You say, but if I do that, they'll pick on me. Yep. They will ridicule you. They will attack you. They will threaten you. My daughter... In her senior year of high school was told that if she was not willing to date a transsexual person, she would never get a job in video game design. If she went to a Christian school, no one's going to take her education seriously. When All of the counselors and voices and and media are telling you to be something, to do something, to act some way. And let me tell you something, it is much easier to follow their advice than to be Esther. We live in a messy world. It's less than ideal. And where would the world be if Christians did not accept the reality of the world and persevere? and live, and act, and do, and be different. Would you join me in a word of prayer? We can read all the ancient documents in the world, Lord, that you inspired, but if they don't sink into our hearts and minds, they don't make us more like you. So help us to clear away the plaque of our sin, to see the men and women we're called to be, to live in a world that is messy and less than ideal. And be who you made us. Live as you called to live, called us to live. Persevere, do more than survive and influence.